0: to you by the writers and producers of Independent by Design, Art and Stories of Indie Game Creation. This is the Indie by Design podcast, the show about game design and game designers. In each episode, we sit down with interesting people to talk in-depth about them, their games and their outlook on games. This episode is all about Devolver Digital. Devolver only began life following the death of another company – Gathering of Developers was a publisher fuelled by the idea that it was possible to create a relationship between developer and publisher in such a way as to allow the creator full control over their project. Unfortunately, Gathering quickly disintegrated following its acquisition in 2000 by Tape-2 Interactive. The founders left, and Gathering became a part of the Tape-2-owned 2K Games brand. Devolver was later started by the founders of Gathering and with that same core philosophy of allowing creators the full freedom to deliver the kinds of games they wanted to make. Graham's Ruggers is part of the small core team at Devolver, and he took the time to talk to us about the philosophy that guides the team, the story behind the publisher, and his own outlook on the games industry. Here he is, detailing his early experiences of the games industry, the structure he has been a of for over 20 years. We do sincerely apologise for the background noise in this episode.
1: I mean, I remember when I was leaving college that that world was, you know, everything seemed to be kind of like streamlining you into certain careers and you needed to have certain qualifications. You needed to fit into quite rigid kind of roles, I guess. And the video games industry was so so fresh and young and, and, and had yet to really define any of those things. So for me, it was like, it really was. A, it was like almost like too good to be true because you could get into that industry. Um, so you could, you know, go and specialize in PR or marketing or sales, and that's when it was a more traditional games industry, where people were going into retailers and selling them games. You know, I, and for me personally, again, it was like my interest was travel. My interest was international. It was you know to me the idea that I could get paid money but also get paid money to go and be in France or Germany or Spain or Italy or Russia Mm. or America. It was just like...
2: How did you find out how to even get into the games industry in the first place?
1: I was working for um, a retailer. Um, Actually, ironically, the reason I was working for them was um, I studied photography. And uh, when I left college, there really wasn't a great demand for photographers, surprisingly. So I started working in a shop, um, selling cameras. And that retailer was Dixons, and they also sold other things, you know, TVs, videos, hi fi's, whatever. And uh, they they did have a small section in all their stores for selling computers, and so I kind of gravitated over there anyway, you know, like naturally because it was interesting. And um, and then, over time, I percolated through the organisation into the head office. And um, all the fun seemed to happen in marketing and buying, and. um, Again, ironically, although they were selling sort of hardware, they didn't have anyone buying software because no, no one was interested. The, 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 the classic buyers were buying TVs and videos and brown goods, that kind of stuff. So even there, it was a, it was a kind of indication that you could make your own job. So I just basically became a software buyer. And then I started to meet all the different companies, publishers, and they all seemed to be having a great time. So yeah. I kind of like made my way over to that side. Mm-hmm. and yeah and, and, and again most people I know in the games industry they've been around for a while they've all come into it in sort of like quite circuitous routes um, and once you're in it I don't, I don't know why you'd want to leave it mm-hmm. personally so then
2: so who were you who were you working for at, at that point because you know you didn't just jump straight into Devolver
1: no, I joined uh, Virgin Interactive, which was was still at that point owned by Richard Branson. Yeah. And quite quickly he sold it, but the, the name was retained. So I worked at Virgin Interactive and I uh, was there for four years. And during that time, I got to focus on working on Command & Conquer um, with Westwood Studios. And again, you know, to me, kind of like the fact that I went to Vegas fairly frequently to... <laughs> yeah to catch up with Westwood Studios was just sort of like, you know somewhat somewhat otherworldly. Yeah. And we also at that point we used to take care of LucasArts. Um so you know you, you got to work on games that you know Monkey Island yeah. uh Client of Conquering then obviously work, work with Charles Cecil and Broken Sword. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Although
2: yeah. Well, the kind of games you were into like personally like
1: Personally games. yeah I mean look, I'd never I've never really I don't feel I've got a, a specific genre that I've kind of like focused on. I mean, strategy games are probably consistent over all the time we've been involved in video games. I still play. Mm. But I'm kind of a bit of a, I don't know what the right word is. Is it a magpie that's attracted to glittery things? Mm. You know, if you put me in front of, you know, Monkey Island, you know, Dave the Tentacle, I'm very, very happy. Put me in front of Quake, I'm very happy. So, yeah. Yeah. So
2: then, so Devolve is only a small, a small group of people. I think is it five? Ten, four, no, ten, we've we've ten?
1: we've 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 aggressively grown the company to ten people. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so how how do you get in then on a? Because it's not like the kind of company that you see. Okay, we're we're advertising for jobs now. We want this person. I mean, maybe that does happen, but I haven't seen.
1: No, that. it hasn't. Um, so, I met um, Mike Wilson. Um, in the early 2000s uh, when Take-Two had decided to reform the idea of gathering of developers, although it wasn't as it, one, as it once had been, it was more, just, it was a label at that point it, it was just the name rather than the ethic and Mike, they brought Mike back to kind of like try and I guess get Mike to reveal the DNA of the original gathering and see if they could actually kind of bring that idea back together and ultimately they couldn't, you know, I guess the big corporate publisher doesn't really deal very well with random and gathering was always very, very random. you know. So that's where I met Mike, I mean I knew who he was beforehand, but that was the first time I sat down with him face to face and we kind of worked together for about a year it took to, and then we both just drifted away from it. Um, and during that time, um, I met Harry, who was Mike's long-term business partner. I actually met Harry, bizarrely, in Africa, on Kilimanjaro. You
2: know? <laughs> As he did. As you did. Yeah.
1: And he spent a lot of time talking to Harry, because yeah. when gathering had sort of folded, he drifted off into other things. And he was, current, he was at that point living out in um, Hong Kong. And I kind of asked him, I said, have you ever thought about doing it again? you know, the idea of gathering, but as Harry pointed out, the biggest stumbling block that you face is you've got the cost of developing your game, whatever that is, and you've got the cost of producing it, because it's a physical world at that point, it's still a physical world. So you're producing a lot of inventory, you have to have salespeople to sell into. So nothing really happened, We we all kept talking for a while. And really, it's only when Steam comes along that the idea of Devolver kind of can take, take take a form. Yeah. But that point, it's really a collection of friends you know, like we would all you know Nigel, Mike, Harry, Rick, uh, all being in Austin. You know, myself in London at that point. We were all just really good mates. And whenever I would go out to, I had other jobs in the interviewing yeah. years. You know, I was doing other things, but whenever I would go to you know any show, or. Have the chance to pop into Austin, we'd go and we'd catch up, and so it was actually more like a bunch of mates who just like been waiting for their opportunity to.
2: Yeah. So, what would you describe as as the original kind of core effort, core essence of gathering? Like, wh- how would you kind of describe what the goal of it kind of was? I think Harry
1: and Mike had to had to have their own company because. There's not a human being alive that can tell Harry Miller what to do. Yeah. It just doesn't work. He he just re, he re, literally rebels from any kind of direction. Mm. Um, he's a very entrepreneurial human being. Um, and Mike, Mike is a true, a true one-off. I mean, he's he's you know, just again very very creative, but he's very collaborative in his in his, in his approach. Mike loves kind of like the community of things being done so I think really with Mike and and, and Harry there was the thought of like the, the, the blend of their natures brings you this idea of like collaboration is vital it's how you can do things when you're small you can do more and Harry's in kind of like it's a quality it's not a negative in his case it could be a negative for some types of personalities but with Harry it's a quality the fact that Harry just will look at any situation and say, "Well, I want to go that way," and and he'll just head off in that direction, and um, and generally he gets it right, which is a relief. So the, the again, that's I think that's the DNA that it really come came from 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 the two of them, um, and from my perspective and Nigel's perspective, you know, we got to do the thing that you love to do, which is like go out and find some games. Mm. Okay.
2: yeah and travel around the world. and travel around the
1: world and and what I love I love about the world of devolver is that the games themselves are not being measured in terms of whether there's a huge potential market for it or not you know, it's it's actually based on the creativity and the kind of you know it's, it's, it's got under your skin somehow you've seen something and it's just like you like a niche you know, just want to mm. So that allows us still to to, to bring games in that they may have an incredibly niche appeal.
2: How do you go about finding them then? So I know a lot of them have started as like game jam things, like Titan Souls, for example, was, example, was yeah. like that. Um, but not not all of them. So no. do, are you are you actively kind of like scouting out? Are you kind of Almost like the equivalent of like a little
0: like record label going to...
1: I, I think it's a bit like that. I think that's a great analogy. I think, you know, Nigel, Andrew, myself, Mike and, and, and Harry are kind of like surfing, listening to radio, if you imagine that that's mm. the analogy. We're listening to music all yeah. the time and we're swapping. So there's there's a, there's a degree of that. Like, there's always something on in the background. There's always some someone's looking... To, you know, it might, be, it might be Nigel just drifting through Twitter. It might be Andrew... Um, going to a show in Spain um, so I'd say that a lot of the games also find us you know, the, 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 you know François who made Reigns you know what he said was that when he was looking at Reigns and although we ourselves had never published a, a, you know, an app we have never done anything like that we PC focused he actually said that he thought it was a Devolver game that's why he pitched us which, which actually, ironically, is true. Because when, as soon as Nigel got a build up on Test Flight, he was just so excited. Um, so I think you know, the, there's the developers themselves who are looking at. I'd say the smart developers are looking at who they want to imagine is going to publish their game and what they're going to get from that relationship. So yeah, there's there's a real you know we are looking, but we're not. We only do a small number of games at any given time and we've got developers who are pitching and generally most of the games we've ended up with, when it's comes to the developers pitching us, it's, it's often, strangely enough, we've often known about them or we've seen something of them or there's been someone in the group who's like, oh yeah, I've been, I've been following them, I've been checking them out, so, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So has that made your
2: job kind of has Devolver's growing status over the years made your life um, the company's life a little easier when it comes to finding great games because you're you've got that status now where people want to work with, work with you as a priority
1: um, that's a really good question um, I feel you know there's by the, very, by the sheer number of people that approach us and game pitches that we get, um, it, it, it can feel like we're repetitively saying the same thing to people, which is, it's not we're, not. we're not saying no to your game. We're not saying no to the idea. We're actually saying we haven't got any capacity. We just don't have the bandwidth to do more than a few projects any, any given time. And that's the hard part, I find. That's the hard part because it always, no matter how you try and answer, I suspect it always feels like a negative, like you're actually rejecting something rather than you just genuinely haven't got the capacity. Mm. The number of people that pitches kind of varies enormously. I mean, around shows like GDC, as you'd imagine, there's a lot of people getting in touch. But generally, um, you know, the, those people that you know that 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 you're kind of like intrigued and you wonder if you get you could get a chance to work with them. There's been a few of those in the last couple of years that have got in touch, or we've got in touch, and yeah, things have come from that, which is which is brilliant. And yeah, I guess that's because we're seen to be doing well. Yeah. Um, so you, so it does work the other way because most people would think of it as though
2: um, it's working with someone like yourselves would be would. You know the relationship would be in, in that direction you'd be the one that they'd be aspiring to work with but it
1: does work the other way as well oh you yeah do. yeah definitely works the other way i mean um, we're we, we still have the wide-eyed fanboy mm. kind of culture um you know, if you hear andrew and nigel talking about certain developers you know the the the, the, the frision of excitement is almost sexual <laughs> yeah. you know so yeah. yeah no there's definitely you know just quite a long list of people we would love to, to yeah. get the chance to work with.
2: Yeah, so and then, so how do you then balance that between wanting to, like you were saying before, that you wanted to stay small and mobile, is there a temptation to to kind of abandon that to a, to a sense that you can work with more of these people? No, I
1: mean, the, the feeling that we've had about ourselves is that we work well in a kind of small form um to this day it still means that each person is 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 handling all kinds of different disciplines you know it's more project driven so if you know Andrew right now working on a certain project will be handling everything from you know QE localization milestones PR asset creation uh dealing with console um partners dealing with, with every aspect of it. And I think that's something that, that we all find we enjoy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think also it's not it's not a lack of ambition that says we're staying small. It's actually an ambition to stay small. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to, to To grow. There's a certain kind of family feel to the whole thing, um, you know, which probably is most obvious when you see the E3 kind of everyone together. Um at the lot you just have this you know and and often and increasingly it's the case that the the devolver lot will be full of developers that we're not working with Mm. yeah but we have maybe worked with previously but we all still hang out
2: yeah so So do you you, i guess that um i'd imagine that um the the kind of family atmosphere that you have kind of mimics a lot of the working structures that the that the studios and the people that you work with, the games designers and developers that you work with, have uh, that they're small teams. They they want to create what they want to create. They they, they want to stay mobile. Um, <clears throat> do you ever get a sense that that's kind of adds to the attraction for them and kind of makes them put more trust in you that they might otherwise not put in a bigger company?
1: Yeah. But- there's been a couple of manifestations which, which on a certain level have actually caused us a degree of concern. Um, you know, recently one of the developers we're working with on a project that's yet to be announced. You know, you could sense they were beginning to stress, um, and the project's relatively early, so usually that stress will manifest itself yeah, at yeah. some point, but not usually at the at, at the start. And you know you kind of like you try and get to the bottom of it. What is it that's causing this? And what it was was they they they, they convinced themselves that they would make the game that would fail, and it would it would reflect badly on us. Uh, they would be the the developer that released the bad game, and and that that was kind of like slightly concerning because we you know as we said to them it's like you know first and foremost you know that's not something that we would ever be concerned about. We'd only be concerned about you enjoying the process of getting to the end, whatever help we can give, we give. But it was we we did talk about that and we wondered if that kind of tension exists in some of the developers where they're worried that in some way, shape or form they've got to sort of like deliver something of such a high achingly high quality otherwise we'd be disappointed and we're like, well actually no it's it's, uh, it's a complicated thing making a video game and and things don't always go smoothly So um, but they, again, I think what I've seen, my observation over the last five or six years, is that really strong friendships have grown out of these connections that have been made through being at E3 or GDC or PAX, showing games. So you know, the guys from Role Seven and, and the guys from Deniton, you know, they're really close friends. Uh, the guys from Free Lives, they're all mixed in, and you know, half of what they get up to, we've no clue. Um, but I think, you know, the, what, what is very helpful is they all share their builds with each other. They all discuss these things. I know that, you know, in a game that we're about to release, Strafe, that some of the guys who work on Absolver over in Paris had given the guys at Pixel Titan some advice on UI and how to integrate controller support. We didn't, I didn't know anything about that until it just casually got mentioned to me a few days ago. I was like, yeah. oh, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's helpful. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I guess that's a, that's a part of it there. Yeah. Um, <coughs> people don't necessarily think of that when because you do travel to shows and um the games that you're working on those the creators of those games do kind of hang out a don't lot you, there is a big yeah. kind of um yeah, yeah. knowledge sharing community there, really there. Is, yeah. so it kind of makes them better or, it get, or at least gives them the chance to be a more knowledgeable or a Absolutely. better
1: and i mean we've got and devolver has got access to kind of like you know the the rock stars of our world would be Crow Team. Mm. You know, and you've got these incredibly gifted, storied developers. And of course, when you when you do put them all together, you know, you get someone like Alan from Crow Team, who will be sitting there talking about how they developed the Talos principle, how they worked out, you know, and, and you can see some of the other developers sort of like sitting there and they're soaking it all up. Mm. Um, you know, and you've got the guys from you know, Flying Wild Hog, the Shadow Warrior team, and that's a big, big developer full of very, very experienced guys. So again, if you've got someone who's nineteen or twenty, and they're sitting next to someone who's worked on The Witcher, you can tell straight away they're going to be like, "Give me as much information as I can possibly elicit." Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Do you personally see them their kind of artistic and technical qualities improve? I mean, how how much? How much does Devolver know, for itself How much does the knowledge base of Devolver cover the technicalities
1: of games? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, so it's like, thank God for <laughs> Andrew. Um, yeah, I mean, Andrew, in his background, Andrew's done level design, uh, sound design. Um, he's worked uh, within the development world on at least three projects. Uh, when I first met Andrew, he designed his own game from our perspective he's our, our he's our producer effectively but but Harry's got a, a, a pretty strong technical you know insight knowledge base mine is much more surface um, but I, I think we've got enough but we also recognise that you know we don't we don't try and, and, and insert ourselves into the development process and what you tend to find if, I, if you, you mentioned Titan Souls if you look at the game that Started out life in, in in the game jam and what came out, you know, a year or so later, the iteration and the the way that they developed that game shows that they're learning as they're developing. You know, the, the the across all the disciplines, um, and that's that's been my experience of a lot of the, let's say the smaller projects, you know, like God's We Watching or all sometimes monsters, and, uh, the the actual core team are actually soaking up a lot of information and knowledge, but they're, they're trying and failing, trying and failing, trying and failing, and as they do that, the game starts to take shape. Yeah. Um, and, and as you mentioned, when you pull together a book, you have a lot of stuff left at the end that you haven't used. You know? And I think every single video game, if you looked at all the, the sheer number of levels that John Ribbons built for not a hero, that never got used, never saw the light of day. Nice or all the uh, fight animations that never got used it's just extraordinary
0: if you're interested in more insight and knowledge on game design and game designers then do make sure you check out independent by design art and stories of indie game creation it's a hardback book that's written by us, and it combines inside stories that focus on specific studios and individuals with compelling pages of original artwork and concept documents. The whole thing is informed by tens of hours of original interviews. Graham has already mentioned the likes of Crow Team, Denetit, Roll7 and Acid Nerve, all of which are featured within the book. Additionally, Lucas Pope, the creator of Papers, Please, subset games of FTL fame, Bland Beer, the team that bought you Nuclear Throne, and train jam founder Adriel Wallach are also included, as are many, many more. Just go to indiebydesign.net to get your copy today. You can also follow us on Twitter at IndieByDesign and on Facebook. by we going to facebook.com forward slash independent by design. Our website, as well as also being a portal through which to listen to our podcast and buy our book, is also full of interesting editorial content for you to read. Again, that's at IndieByDesign.net. Finally, we'd be very grateful if you could take a moment to leave us a friendly review on iTunes. It really does help our visibility, and in turn that helps us get the show to more people and spread general understanding about game design and the people behind the games. we begin the second half of our chat with Graham by discussing Croteam, the makers of the Serious Sam games that made up Devolver's first three releases as a
1: publisher. Without Crotein, we would have found it much, much more difficult to get airborne. You know, we started the company with no money, uh, with, with no ability or desire to borrow money or have any investors or any of that. So it was, it was I think, for pretty much the first three years, every one of us was doing second jobs. Um, I think Nigel was the first to actually bravely step away from having a proper job and and starting to work for Devolver full-time. So Croteam with the HD remakes of the original games um, which then led to the the gaining enough funding, if you want, to take from the sales of those games, gaining enough momentum to fund CSAM 3 to completion and also brought us into the indie space when, you the, the idea of letting other developers make serious sound games, which led to Vlambier. Yeah. and for yeah. Vlambier it leads directly to Deniton, and Deniton leads to, you know, us being able to all jump on the company and and, and, and and stop doing second jobs and work full time. Yeah. So yeah, so to us, team is, you know, it's just inextricably linked to Devolver, and, Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, and you use the word indie there, which is such a a loaded term it is known. nowadays. It is, yeah. Known, isn't it? yeah. Do Do you have a, um, cause I mean, you know, different people have different definitions. Some yeah. people might be it's you. You got to do every single element of the game yourself. You've got to remove a any, any sort of outs, outside funding. If you've got too many team members, then you're not indie. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, do I, you have a?
1: Um, I, I grew up in a, in a period of time where people tried to claim that they were the first to ever hear Joy Division, you know, and and it got to the point it was so obtuse as to who was the biggest Joy Division fan at school, yeah. And it got boring, and I just liked the music, so whatever. Yeah. The, the to me the way I look at independence is is if you're a if you're a creator and you're able to 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 fulfill your desire to make the thing you want to make without anybody telling you what to do, then you're independent. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how I've always kind of like, that's the capsule I put around independent, is that you're making the decisions on what you want to do. And, you know, because, again, we do work with uh, single-man teams, and we work with teams that are in the... In the case of fly mode hog i guess they're they're hovering around around about 100 people mm. but i mean they're fiercely independent mm. um and and, and and obviously in between there's this there's a sort of like teams from four to, to to 40 so but they would all consider themselves independent yeah
2: yeah so, so it's uh it's a uh, it's a f- more a philosophical definition than a quantitative. I think one. it's a
1: state of mind in some regards. So, so where
2: then would you say Devolver's um, position is in that? In terms of when you're when you're working with these these um, independent studios, you know, you said that it's um, it's about them having freedom to do to do what they what they like. So. Um, a traditional sort of a big publisher might be kind of informing or, or suggesting changes based on maybe some a greater financial gain over the long term but, sure yeah. Um, if you're not doing that then what would you say you're kind of what's the what do they get out of their relationship with you
1: I suppose is the question well it's to some extent it it's a question that's that that will be different for each person. Mm-hmm. The answer would be different for each person, I should say. With some of the teams we work with, I would say that really, ultimately, um, what they got was breathing space, and that's where the funding comes in. So, by having certainty of funding, by having someone who's prepared to to do that, they can go off and concentrate fully on what they want to make, what they want to make. Um, and in, in a couple of cases I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that we've signed the game and the next time we've spoken to the developer about the game itself mm. it's when it's practically done mm. so we have not been sitting here analysing builds or, or, or doing any of that but equally with our, there are quite a number of projects where uh, the developer wants to send you builds frequently they want you to the bills they want you to give feedback, and they, they, they're they anxious to have that feedback. And they're also doing the same, sending it to other development teams uh, themselves. So it really does depend massively on the, the, the individual studio. Um, what is important always to, to anyone in business because it is a bit that's the word I hate whilst I hate the word itself, it is a business hmm. to be creative, to, to get in my mind anyway, to be, to be as creative as possible, you have to the the amount of distraction in your life. And financial uncertainty does make it very difficult for people to, to fully concentrate. If you're worried about paying rent um, and, and, and all the things that go with that, then it's very hard to just go and focus on being creative.
2: Mm.
1: We do genuinely have the best interests of everybody we're involved with. Um, and I think that does come through when we're working with people that they, you know, you know they, they they understand that we've got their back as 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 best we possibly can, whatever that might mean at any given time. So
2: yeah, yeah. yeah does that does that irritate a little because um, the the financial the financial side is it almost like a. Um, A naivety or an an immaturity, maybe, when some people are kind of complaining or suggesting that in order to make a... to profit from what you're doing kind of somehow undermines, certainly in some people's eyes, the word indie, but just like a kind of artistic, creative thing at all. Because, you know, obviously of the obvious kind of... uh, opposite of that is that if you don't have any money you can't sustain what you're
1: doing Again, you know, usually the, the construct yeah. of that thinking is, is, is so obtuse to me that, that it's difficult to, it's a bit like trying to convince somebody who voted for Britain to leave Europe that they're an idiot kind of like, you know, they don't yeah. believe they're an idiot yeah. um, the, in, the, in the nine, I think this is our ninth year um, and in that time We've got to see companies, um, which you know, obviously to us that's individuals, but you know, it's easier just to say companies. We've yeah. seen companies um, establish themselves, build a very solid platform for their future and become truly financially independent. You know, they, they, they have no need to, to look around for funding, they can now do what they want with the, with the funds they've generated out of their success. To me, that that, is, that, that kind of like is, is the best illustration I have of, of, of our role. You know, we've got involved. We've, yes, we've profited. Of course we have. But they've gained through their hard work and our initial support, absolute independence. That's, you know, and... If they then choose later on to work with us again, there must be a reason why they're making that choice because they certainly don't need us for money. Mm. Um, so there must be something else they feel comes out of the relationship that's yeah. beyond just dollar bills, living from one bank account to mm. Um And it's, it's public. When we get involved with a, a game... We have no rights beyond that game. We're not tied into any future with the developer. We're not signing up an IP with sequel rights that we kind of... like We don't own the IP, but we've got the sequel rights for the next 10 years or something. <laughs> yeah. So the developer, at the point that their game is launched, there's no there's no hidden little knot yeah. that, that holds into us. And actually, that's as important to us as it is to them because we don't want to be tied to any one thing either. Yeah. So. Yeah.
2: So, do you, um, if you cease to work with a um, a creator uh, in the future after you've after you've uh, worked with them, do you, do you continue to? Um, have a relationship with them, so Vlan Beer kinda of went off by themselves.
1: Yeah, afterwards. I mean I mean the I guess the the the, the best one I could, the best illustration I can give you is is Rule yeah. Seven. And we worked with them on Not Hero, we also got involved in releasing Oli Oli. We were, we were not the publisher of Oli, but we did release versions of it on, on Steam. Um, and I mean it's a bit of a bro run bro romance for me with with John Ribbons I mean, he's become a really close friend Simon and Tom I don't see as frequently because they don't live in London but I genuinely genuinely love those guys and um, when after we finished on Not a Hero they pitched us their next project um, which we all love but we couldn't afford it Mm. Um, you know and it's one of those ones you look at and, and the way that we looked at it was we could probably stretch to accommodate the development as it was explained to us at that particular point. But here's the risk. If we if we stretch ourselves to that degree, what if the game, and that's not a bitchy comment, it's just a reality, what if the game slips by maybe three, four, five months because it just takes more time? But equally, we're leveraging everything and, and that means all uncomfortable because we, we, we'd be putting them at risk as well so it was really difficult for me because i had to say to the guys we we can't we can't stay with you on this one mm. Mm. but equally when they signed with another publisher i mean i don't think there was anyone i think in the tier of happiness that they'd signed with another publisher obviously they were delighted they've signed they've got a deal they're going to be making the game they want to make and and obviously they're ecstatic and i think the next level of happiness came from us we were I mm. uh, and I will hate John Ribbons when his game comes out and it sells millions of copies because it will be, I believe he'll make an awesome game
2: Yeah, so it's that thing of, you know, you can't put too much money on a like um, a personal friendship because it's going to, it has the potential to kind of
1: blow everything up Yeah, I, I guess Yeah, I, I never yeah. really thought of it from that point of view but it was more, in this particular situation it was more a case of like um, as much as we wanted, like you, sometimes you. There's an expression I used to use when I was working in retail. You have buyer's eyes. You see something and you just want it. You want it, But yeah. you have to remember that you can't always have everything that you you you, know, you want. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I still blame John for making an expensive game. basically yeah. So that's yeah.
2: Why. why couldn't he? What was wrong with not a hero? What was wrong yeah, with audio? exactly? Yeah,
1: He's, you know his delusions of ambition Uh, yeah
2: um so yeah when you're giving people a kind of complete creative complete creative freedom they're they're doing a project they want to do they've agreed a deal with you for them to get on and do it now has that ever um has that ever caused any discomfort for you what I'm really thinking about here is when all the controversy about um the kind of sexual violence around Hotline Miami 2, Miami for example, and then Dennaton are saying, well, you know, if they're not going to sell it in X country, then just go and pirate copies yourselves. Just do whatever you want. Like, do you, is there ever any moments like that or other times when you maybe think, okay, maybe, maybe that wasn't such a great thing to say?
1: No, I mean, I think, you know... Uh, again, nature and personality comes into it, and when 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 when, 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 when Jonathan tweeted mm. that, um, I was kind of high five. That's that's <laughs> yeah. that's, that's that's fine with yeah. us. Um, I think, I think it it got picked up in the media. Jonathan had tweeted, it and then De- Devolver and Fort Parker were tweeting it. Mm. So it was kind of a bit odd to have a publisher doing that. I guess from a media perspective, um. If you say to people, look, you have creative freedom, you're doing what you want to do, we're supporting you, you then don't get to complain about what comes. You don't get to to, 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 to reverse course. There have been a number of cases where we've seen things within the game, a game that's being developed, and we've actually just said, look, let's have a discussion. Um, and that discussion has been, is going to lead you into certain situations and, and as long as you're aware of that, and as long as you're comfortable with that, that's fine. Because I, equally, there are times when we have cultural differences. Mm-hmm. We had one developer whose English is at that particular their English now is fantastic, but at that particular point, we, 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 we were we were naive. We put them in a in, in e three in a caravan facing the media. And as as anyone who knows Devolver, we don't get in. We're not in those caravans, which is the developer and the and 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 um, the the journalist which is as it should be right but in this particular case a word was used which in French is an entirely everyday word but the journalist heard it from the point of view of a a, a prescription it it, it blew up in our faces and and we all sat sat outside the caravan a few hours later because it went straight online and I was like it's my fault. That's me not doing my job. I should have made it clear to everybody that they don't speak great English, that um, that they may struggle, and if there's anything that they say, you know, that because the content of the game there's a lot of adult themes within the game. If there's anything that raises your eyebrow, you can check with me because I speak a bit French, and I can probably just make sure that there's a, that everyone understood what they were saying, right? So sometimes there are cultural things that have you know yeah. happened. Yeah. But, no, I'm, I'm fine with, you know, I think creative people can stretch boundaries. And I know that this is always difficult because if you're left wing, you don't want to see right wing people stretching boundaries. And if you're right wing, you don't want to see left people stretching boundaries. And we all kind of get a little bit frazzled about where we think that line. Is. Yeah.
2: If you're If you are a small team and, you know, people are speaking English almost exclusively, maybe... Cultural things like that are, are unforeseen issues that you wouldn't have ever even thought about might even be something that ever exists um, yep is that have there been other things like that that you've been just totally blindsided by that you didn't see coming as as a small team?
1: Well actually although it didn't it didn't affect us devolver that is um, I was in Warsaw uh, and the Warsaw development scene is very very tight knit. You know, it's a, I love it for that I mean all these great developers they all hang out they're all in fact it seems everybody at some point has worked on The Witcher or Bulletstorm um, but I was there when if you recall on Witcher 3 there was this sort of like slant appeared in the media about the fact that this game was white everyone in it was white and um, and, and I mean the way that the tone of the original article I don't think was particularly grim but of course, once the internet gets involved, you go off in all kinds of directions and then, you know, there's people jumping in. Yeah, yeah. Sitting in Warsaw with those people, you know, the guys from Flying Wild Hog and a few people from uh, CD Project, they were just genuinely bemused. They, they were like, "The set in Poland. The universe of The Witcher is this part of the world. So this is a representation of this part of the world. And he, and, and of course, sitting there, I, was, I wasn't being devil's advocate, I was just saying, well, this is, a, this is like, we see the world now from the prism of diversity, we see the world from the prism of you know, equality. And so if you're taken in isolation and seen to be exclusively one thing, as we see, I mean, it's happening constantly in, in film and TV. We're discussing this, but it wasn't a conversation that had been going on in Warsaw because this had never actually come up. So I got to see that unfold and it was really interesting to kind of like, they felt a little bit like they were being picked on Mm. Um, for something that they couldn't understand anyone even being remotely bothered by. Does
2: that kind of indicate perhaps that games have... of arrived in a way like if if people are bothered about talking about this stuff in video games it it does indicate and kind of demonstrate that games are worthy enough and mainstream enough and kind of culturally relevant enough to be spoken about in these kind of political contexts
1: yeah i think you're absolutely right and i think you know whilst it might bring some scrutiny that's you know irritating overall the benefit is good i think it's welcome uh, so it is kind of uh, yeah I guess we really have I mean you you know I've just opened up the Guardian the other day and I found an article about Dean Hall Uh, and, and the you know come, to, come and work in New Zealand and have unlimited vacation and, and there's like a really you know sizable article on page I think it was on the third page I was like wow I <laughs> did not expect to see that there so yeah
2: Yeah, and then I suppose related to that, there's also been a lot of um, in the last few years with certainly with digital distribution taking off and Steam being so popular and people releasing their own games and itch being a platform to to um, distribute your game on. um, There are just so many more games now. There's just huge numbers of of games, Um, and I suppose that in a way that kind of makes. It's a double-edged sword from someone like Devolver's position. There's so many games to look at and troll through. But also from the consumer level and from the developer level, just getting the visibility to match between consumer and developer must be much more difficult. Like to, To simply stand out from the crowd is very, very difficult. So do you would you, because of your status, would you see more people wanting to work with someone like you because it does give you that status at things like uh, E3 and Gamescom and things like that, but also, you know, the Devolver brand is a much bigger entity. Yeah,
1: I mean, firstly, I, I don't think that we... We don't approach any project and think, oh, we're Devolver, we're hitmakers, <laughs> so if we sign this game and we sprinkle the Devolver magic dust that it's going to then... Uh, sell usually or the, the, all the media will flock around it, and every streamer of note will, will want to be involved. Um, I think you, you know we approach each game as if this was the first project, and it's always kept as honest in that regard. Because if you've got a game like Stories Untold, you know it's it's a classic old school um, kind of like you know text based adventure Um, well i guess we look at that from the perspective of it's probably quite a niche game it might catch you know attention because it's got that kind of like 80s vibe going through it it's got some really the art style is really really cool but it doesn't mean because we got involved with that game that 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 somehow multiplies its sales and suddenly that game that might might now sell five times more than if we'd not been involved. I don't think that's true. Um, and what I do think is true, however, is is because we've got a really good network of, of people like Robbie from Indigo Power we've got Doug Down in Australia from Double Jump, we've got Zach in Japan, and these people are able to reach out to the media and they, they themselves have a credibility. And, and how they conduct themselves and how they do their work, that I think the media are more receptive to their kind of like engagement because they trust them and they've built a relationship over a number of years, and we benefit from that, clearly. So obviously, I guess the difference that maybe Stories Untold has with Devolver is that there's, there's nine people scattered across the globe who are in contact in their specific territory, region, with the media, and they can say, hey, guys, we've got this are you interested in having a look whereas had that just been john and omar up in glasgow on their own i mean they could access things like you know there are various mechanisms for getting review code out there but i've been on the other side of that fence and if you get 10 emails a day with review code, chances of you picking one of those 10 is pretty low whereas if Robbie gets in touch and says, Hey, I think this is a game you're gonna enjoy right. it's a much better chance that you will mix some elder some sometime. So yeah. that's it.
2: So with people like um, Indigo Pal and um, and Robbie who's who's part of that kind do you do you have the same kind of relationship with them as you do with the games creators or is it Yeah,
1: a- that's a really good point. I'm, I'm you know, Stephanie um, Tinsley over in the States, North America. She was the first person that we worked with. And she worked with us when we couldn't pay her. Um, and, um, and you know, as time went on, we were able to add, you know, so uh, Robbie obviously is very much part of it. Um, Salima and Pili over in France, you know, they, they were very early in our joining joining with us I think it's fair to say on their behalf that they, they themselves have all become really strong friends they again they're part of the traveling circus yeah you I mean, Robbie's very close to Dennis you know uh, Deniton and John ribbons and and you see you, you see them all together and they they're, they're all and, and the guys that like, mentioned acid nerve, you know, Mark and Mark and David they all hang out um, I think sometimes I feel like dad when I walk in mm-hmm. you know, they'll sort of like climb down a little bit and mm-hmm. then you know oh I actually, I, I have to go do I yeah, yeah so the fun continues yeah yeah leave
2: the leave the card behind the bar yeah
1: <laughs> yes yes do that <laughs> but please go um, yeah. so no they're 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 a big part of our story
2: yeah. yeah and the street the streamer angle as well is that something you're actively concentrating more on you kind of staying abreast of the kind of the changes in how Video game um, journalism and um, communication to audiences is is, um, is evolving.
1: Yeah, I mean we've got the Devolver Public Access uh, channel, mm. um, and we're about to add to that. Actually, we've that we've been we've been running that now for I guess we've been running it formally. I'd say now for about six or seven months, and next month we're going to add. Uh, yeah a couple of uh, French uh, guys to the team because we want to start streaming in French and, and, and hopefully not long after that in German. Um, and I think, again, I, my daughter, she's just hit 15. And my I, I've got a child that doesn't watch television and just wouldn't even think of switching on a TV. It's just not what she does. I mean, I've never actually seen her watching tv i've seen her watch movies but i've not seen her just come in and hit that remote control and her and her friends you know they, their their way of entertaining themselves is through the prism of youtube and um and they have their own favorites uh, who they they watch um and that's how also that's how they inform themselves i mean nina's not so much in the gaming space but It's how she informs herself about music. Um, And as a parent, you look at it and it's like, it's bewildering sometimes. You're like, God, it's just moving so quickly, as you mentioned. Um, But it's it's also, again, again, it's it's for us, as a small company. It does allow you to reach potentially quite a wide audience. Um, And, yeah, so we're going to continue with Devolver Public Access, you know, and and add to it um, as well as working with streamers at yeah, large.
2: Yeah.
1: And what part in that
2: new um, evolving communications space does um, Fork Parker play? I mean, what is what is
1: who is Fork Parker, I think, and what I, I, th- I think firstly, Fork Parker having a bit of a hard time at <laughs> the moment because being an elderly man with a a ridiculous hairstyle, and some fairly dubious points of view. Mm. was a space that he occupied relatively well. And he's just been completely usurped. Yeah. So I think Fork's having a little bit of an identity crisis. I don't expect him to emerge as a liberal in any way, shape, or form. But he's clearly... He's having to reassess his brand at the moment mm-hmm. because he's, he's, he's not getting very far... Uh, is
2: it possible to push it far enough to go beyond the the, the elephant in the room i
1: i genuinely genuinely don't know i, I, I mean um, i know that is a different story but many years ago i remember just the the, the the director of the born the the born films said that the reason he stopped was because the real world had become way more ludicrous than anything they had in the born films that that their idea of this dark secretive, shadowy government within government was used up by drones flying all over and assassinating people left and right. Um, and so it's the end of Bourne, right? Because the real world is more ridiculous than the one they were trying to imagine. And that's where Fort Parker's at at the minute. He's, he's been he's been kind of blindsided. Um, so I don't know. I mean, he's, he's obviously he's not struggling for cash. Clearly. <laughs> He can, he can, continue his lavish lifestyle.
2: Yeah. so he's a real, he's a real person. Then he's so real to us that it's scary. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, a slightly different topic, but um, when you were mentioning um, stories untold, it's Ooh, um, in taking
1: just, just to be clear, it's taken me over twenty years to finally have a developer in my own hometown.
2: Is, is that uh did that add to the appeal
1: of I'm um, Pretty much, <laughs> crawling over broken glass. Too. <laughs> yeah. um, well, it's the first time I've worked with people who understand everything I say. That's true. Yeah, I hope
2: people understand this. <laughs> yeah,
1: sorry.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, but games like that—not games like that—but that is an example of a game along with something like always, something always, sometimes monsters that you that you um, mentioned previously. That's. um both of those games are very different from what people would have seen as early Devolver. So Serious Sam is a shooter, Hot Eye Mami, completely different game, but also involved shooting. Has there been change, a, con- a conscious desire no, to kind of broaden the kinds of games that you're that you're looking at?
1: Personally, I don't feel that is the case. Um, I feel... We've always been slightly, you know, it, it, as a, it's a quality in, in our case, but we've been slightly kind of like, like attention or the deficit kind of as a group of people. We're, we're very easily distracted by things um, in, in that sense. And so, um, and as I say, you've got, as a group of people, whilst we're all very, very close, we also have quite divergent interests, you know. Um, so, I mean, I I don't think I would ever imagine I would ever have even pitched a, a down well or range to the rest of the group because I don't play games on mobile phones. It just don't. That just doesn't appeal to me. Um, I've never had a mobile phone battery can stand up to it anyway. So if 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 Francois pitched me in, and maybe uh, Gino pitched me. I might have just said to them guys, we don't do mobile, but you know these games are cool, you know, they're, they're fun, but it's just not for us. Whereas Nigel, who's a younger and better looking and has hair, he does play a lot of games on mobile and he's like, these games are so tight. They just got that. And so that's an example of, you know, coming through one door and everything's great. Come through another door, you meet me and I'm like, oh, I don't do mobile. <laughs> um Conversely, um, you know, Andrew's got you know, Andrew's, I think Andrew's the most triple A of us. He loves video games and he plays a lot of really big, big games. He's a massive fan of Dishonored and Assassin's Creed, and and, and so he's got a slightly different slant. Um, so when when Absolver came along, um, you know, I guess I was a little bit scared by the size of the game and the size of the team and thinking, God, that's that's a big. Big group of people, and that's a big project. But Andrew is just like, was just like, this, this, this is awesome," and he was straight into that, and, and just right underneath the hood, talking to the designers, the programmers, the artists. He's like, "This is awesome, got to do it." Mm. So each one of us has got a slightly different slide. I'm not sure what my slide is. Actually, yeah,
2: I, I like was going to. Well, apart from games, <laughs> apart from games made in Glasgow, and I know you're a big Liverpool fan as well. So if there was okay. a Liverpool game, maybe maybe yeah, that would be high I'm, on you Yeah,
1: if, if there could be a game that was funded by Kenny Dalglish mm-hmm. in some way shape or form yeah. I'm in
0: for more on games and game creators visit IndieByDesign.net and follow us on Twitter at IndieByDesign IndieByDesign podcast episodes are released every Wednesday our next episode features introversion software Creators of Prison Architect, Uplink, Darwinia, and more. All music for this episode was provided and is owned by Ben Prunty.